Know Thyself is dedicated to the exploration of the most rewarding task an individual can ever embark on, the journey to find oneself. Our intention is to investigate the universal principles that have equipped our species to seek the treasure of all treasures, self-knowledge. With your host, Daniel Polinski and Eduardo Manteca, this is the Know Thyself Podcast. Um, all right, welcome to the Know Thyself Podcast. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah. Let's do this. Uh, an important topic that we should definitely um, be very thankful that we can cover um, in like such a weird situation that we're in, uh, even just as like not just the country, but even the world right now. And so with today, I hope to talk about, you know, more about how we can utilize the full spectrum or the full potential of our understanding. Uh, and with that, today we'll be covering the esoteric uh, sort of motive for why we even study these mystical uh, philosophies or these interpretations of, of all the things that we've already covered um, throughout the podcast. And they go way beyond our podcast, obviously, in time, uh, as far as uh, the principles that uh, we've been discussing and how to to really understand them so we can apply them. So, yeah, yeah man, let's let's get started. Awesome, awesome. And yeah, and you know what? And um, always a great introduction because I think this is um, a very important time to kind of think about, you know, how can we utilize the most information and accomplish the most in our spiritual growth? Right. Um, because again, I think we have this global call to action right now that you're right, it's not just in the United States. The uh, the whole world is um, at kind of at a turning point, you know, and right. it's going to become down to our free will decision. So, so yeah, what we're going to kind of chat about today is what we're really going to look at is the esoteric similarities and perceived differences between um, Hinduism and kind of your Abrahamic religions in the West. So that's going to cover Judaism, Christianity, and also Islam. Right. Um, and just really kind of how they almost kind of perceive the universe and the outplay of the Creator within the universe a little bit differently, both being correct in their aspirations and both alluding to the other as well. Um, so they give evidence of both sides, but really how we kind of see them and how they kind of present themselves kind of gives us this... Um, two different approaches to understanding this creative right. energy that in this creative universe that we find ourselves in. Um, and really what this is going to be kind of entailing is this is really going to be kind of the beginning of us getting into astrotheology. So astrotheology is the evolution of consciousness over time. And I know we've spoken about this before, but there's always been this, this very important order to how spiritual progress happens and how it kind of flourishes and when certain prophets come at certain times and when certain teachings are presented. It all kind of comes to these really, really big cycles, which is the evolution of consciousness. And as really white magicians and kind of um, individuals that are really trying to choose the path of love and truth, we know our, our only goal and our only objective is to align ourselves with that universal consciousness to help aid in the evolution rather than the destruction of consciousness. And that's really where our role is. So today what we're going to do is we're going to kind of take a look at Hinduism and its unique approach to what they would consider the Godhead. And then we're going to also kind of look at um, those Abrahamic religions like we were talking about and kind of how they approach the Godhead and really how the alchemists and the hermetics and everybody we've been talking about would kind of be an interplay in between both. And that's really kind of what the esoteric is. It's that connection between all religions. So we're really going to study one of the oldest, most unique religions in the world today with Hinduism. Um, but again, it's it's going to be such a little sample because we, you know, we have this little bit of time and this is such an old, beautiful... It is, um, the self-God. Yes, absolutely. So there's just so much to cover. So we're not really looking at this is really just kind of an introduction. And just to kind of get us thinking about that aspect and really what this is kind of telling us too is this is really kind of the process of you kind of find the spiritual path that resonates with you. But at the same time, you have to go back and you have to get all the other teachings right. and expressions of these universal principles that we've been studying and see how they um, are perceived in other um, spiritual almost like 
metaphors or myths, um, but just kind of understanding, getting a whole picture. So just like when we were talking about breaking down the Zodiac and you want to get all 12 signs, this is kind of the process of how we kind of do completion on how we really understand um, this five sense construct that we find ourselves in and how even both of them kind of come back to, you know, just that self. So, so this evolution of consciousness, um, you know, is really where we're kind of looking at this is it's how do we positively aid the evolution and um, you know, how do we make that kind of our role? So this, you know, in this whole journey and this whole process we've been going through this podcast, this journey to find oneself, um, we really kind of see that we almost become a sacrifice to the bigger. Um, and that's kind of what this is all about. And really just kind of tapping into that whole idea of those many faced gods. Um, and it's kind of stuff that we've kind of spoken about in the past, but just going to kind of bring it up and kind of get connected with it, with it today. Right. Cool. No, I, uh, I know I'm excited to hear what we're going to break down with Hinduism. And I'm curious as to, you know, what we just cover when you're saying that even though it's, it's aligning yourself with that consciousness or that higher, like the self God, do we expect to also understand why the, like why the yoga practice, why the, like how, right. yeah, I just, mm-hmm. I'm just curious as to like, it goes so far back that right, right. what are the most important things that you believe in, in that? what Hinduism has brought to the world itself. Mm -hmm. Like what is, what are those things right now that we can? Yeah. You know, well, right off the bat, I think a a unique thing about Hinduism that um, all religions can kind of take on. And most of us as spiritual students have attached this practice and we kind of adopt this practice. Um, But the idea of Hinduism is going to be, because it's kind of based on almost like a monotheist situation um, where they do, they have their Supreme deity, which is, the most high on their kind of their ladder, but they have an ability to adapt prophets when they come without haste or without tension of it discerning and discrediting another prophet that they've had. Right. right? So that's going to be something we see in like the Abrahamic religions, especially between like Christianity and Islam. It's that argument about whose God is the true God. And really when we break it down, it's so it's the same God. Right. Um, so Hinduism is going to be a unique religion in the aspect of how welcoming they are to new prophets. So when a new prophet appears, I mean, we'll kind of get to why because of the fundamental understanding of of that of that whole religion, okay. um, we'll kind of get to why this happens and why they're able to accept it. But they do; they accept prophets. Like you know, right. Hinduism. The reason why Hinduism didn't lose much to Buddhism, or it did, but it didn't, is because they just absorbed Buddha into their prophets immediately. Um, you know, now Buddhism was going to kind of veer off and go on its own course, but you can be a Hindu that's still, you know your God could be the Buddha and that could be the one you kind of base your ceremonies on. And there's also a lot of freedom in this religion, mm-hmm. you know, b- between each family, they can kind of, kind of um, give praise to their own gods. And it's a very unique aspect in that realm too. So there's just a lot of, it's a lot of creativity um, and there's a lot of expansion for like, kind of like what you personally resonate with rather than just like this one story. Right. But that would be kind of the right off the bat, one of the unique things about Hinduism. And I think that's why it really had a huge push in the West when it was brought over here, because it's kind of such an adaptable religion. Um, and again, there's going to be esoteric and exoteric Hinduism. There's going to be, you know, the inner teachings and the outer teachings, but really with Hinduism as well, they did not hide their esoteric teachings as much. Right. You could go very deep, and it was kind of there, and that opportunity was there. Where in the West, it's it's news to a lot of people that we have a spiritual um, movement in the West when it comes to like Western mysticism. And then you start seeing the symbols, and you start seeing it all around us, and we see that it's a, it's a huge thing for a lot of big individuals, whether they're on the light side or the dark side. But we do actually have a very rich spiritual tradition Um but that esoteric one is very hidden in the West. Like you have to kind of find it yourself where in the East, it's always kind of available if you want to go down that rabbit hole, right. you we know? We always talked about how the West introduced the devil to the East. Uh, other way around. The East introduced it to the oh, West. The other way yes. around. Yeah, yes. my mistake. I just yep. always remember you telling me one or the other, we were talking mm-hmm. how it's like, well, how, how yeah. could you not want to divide them? You yeah. Know? And I always thought that was an interesting... Um, aspect of, of that but yeah on. that was no that's interesting because that was happened during the crusades and we're, we're going to kind of talk about too right. is how important it is to um how important it is to 
when we like when these cultures get connected and you have the ability to tap into this information and how it evol it kind of could evolve because that's when alchemy got kicked back up into place that's when the knights templars like the original knights templars were really doing the work of the light workers and of white magicians they were really doing a lot of amazing stuff and it's because they got connected to the mysteries again right. because they were leaving the dark ages but it was us going on the crusade which was this like terrible mission to try to gain Jerusalem. Right. And, um, but in that aspect, the highest knights were getting initiated to these Islamic mysteries and all these other Persian kind of mysteries, every, everywhere that they were kind of going. And um, that really gave a resurgence of, I mean, that was the cause of the Renaissance. That was the cause of alchemy coming back. That was the cause of us studying astrology again, right. because we were in a dark age and it was kind of this time. So again, when we have these connections with these different cultures, we kind of do have this information that is... Um, it's like a passing of the information. And it's so important at this time when we talk about why it's so important to get like a very holistic view of the world's consciousness is because we're getting interconnected. And this whole aspect of consciousness is physically getting connected through things like the internet. And we're seeing negative aspects of that, but there's also got to be positive. And that's going to be this connection with the idea that we're all on this journey. And it's, you know, it's that knowledge of self is what we're really actually here for. And right. us being able to connect on the internet gives us... Um, really unreal potential you know yeah you can see what's really interwoven and mm -hmm. most people have never wanted to even go past the side that they stand on right you know right right so um so i mean will we also cover like like buddhism and then Taoism and like um you know besides Taoism, but also um the confucian philosophy yeah like, no yeah. and you know so we're gonna um so how we're gonna kind of look at it today is just kind of more of a viewpoint of how they view the universe right. um and so um you know like china views the organism the universe as kind of an organism this living organism right and that's where we kind of see it all come to chinese mythology and that's going to have a lot of influence on the neighboring countries um the um the Hindu religion and everything that's going to be coming out of India is really going to look at the role of the Godhead as more of a dramatic experience. The Godhead actually participating in the human consciousness. Okay, so it's very interesting because when we speak about um, the God and the universal creation, in both in both religious texts, they talk about the idea of um, God playing to create the universe. So mm -hmm. when we think about it in the West, we think of play as him playing with blocks and actually building the physical universe, right? Yeah. And this is our attraction with being able to build. And this is why in the West it is, we we like to build high skyscrapers. And like, um, you know, this is why manufacturing really was a big thing in the West. And we kind of made that rules very quickly because we do, we see it God as this builder, the builder of this creation. And through metaphysical studies and like alchemy, you really start seeing that God is actually in everything, right? right. But this this whole so this whole Abrahamic religion um, sees really God as this builder. And if we even think about the esoteric foundations that really um, kind of push this esoteric understanding, it's the Freemasons, right? The right. builders, the master builders. There's not a coincidence that Jesus was a carpenter. Right, so this is how we kind of visualize the Godhead in the West. We very much visualize him as a play, but it's like playing with blocks. Where right. in Hinduism, they're going to more see this as a dramatic play. Okay, they're going to see it as the Godhead participating in life, where the idea that the Godhead is just the self, and that's the highest self, and that's really the only thing that's real. And the Godhead is in every in everything. everything. Everything from humans to animals to bugs to even rocks, that energy is there and they perceive that energy. So that's when a, a new prophet comes around, instead of fighting it, they're just like, oh, hello, like you've come back, you know, because how they see it is it's this big game of hide and seek. Yeah. They see it as God's playing hide and seek with himself. Um, and again, when we kind of break down um, Western alchemy and everything like that, it's the same kind of conclusion. It's this idea that our higher self is always kind of playing hide and seek with ourselves. And it's this game of remembering and forgetting, remembering and forgetting, right. experiencing a spiritual moment, and then getting kind of pulled back to that material and just the aspect of that. And so really what we're kind of looking at is, I mean, even like in Hinduism, when you're at yoga and you say namaste, 
right? That namaste is literally saying like, I see universal right. energy within you and you recognize my universal right. energy. Um, so there's always that kind of interplay. Um, and we in the West very much look at this as the universe as a construct. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I like that um, to take this from a lecture I listened to with Alan Watts, what you just said, just like hit me just for a second. as you was like, you know, you might know the moves to the dance, but you're not really dancing. And it's something we do a lot here in the, in, in the Western um, or in Abrahamic, as you're saying, like ideas is like, you're, you're, you're getting it at all as far as like the, the structure of what it is, but mm -hmm. are you really interwoven into like what right. the beauty of the art is? And so uh, what you just said, just kind of like hit me with that. Um, but go on. Yeah, no, that's a hundred percent it, man, because that's that's exactly what that difference kind of entails. And again, they're both correct. Like right. the you know, the creator did create this universe and it's this five sense construct. It's just kind of how we perceive it, you know. So um really, um and you go even like just kind of thinking about stuff like in the West, even like our spiritual art was all kind of based around the Fibonacci sequence. Like we like to see those patterns, and again, they see those patterns. Um, in Hinduism as well, like and their mantras and everything um, that they kind of create, but we again we see it and we're always kind of trying to mimic that view of right. God, you know. So we see it with that Fibonacci sequence, um, and just that we that whole idea of that master builder and that idea of you know even like I am a creator, and you kind of even think about how we kind of utilize the energy in the the West, like with the whole law of attraction and people, you know, how do I manifest? How do I create? Right. That's something you kind of hear a little bit more in Western language, um, where Eastern language, they have that power and they do it, but they don't really use that I like in the creator. It's more of just kind of like I am, and then it kind of happens, if that makes sense. It does. It's okay. a very like, uh, not Nietzsche, but like sort of Socrates is like that. I mean, just like the personalities that have been influenced by such things will declare what they are and what they've done and how come you haven't done enough. Right. You know, and yeah. like, you're not wrong. There is a reason why we're here and we should, you know, build, if you will. But, you know, there's a way and a process to it that doesn't just involve only one, you mm -hmm. know. Um, and I feel like those from that time, at least from the philosophies that I'll read about or like philosophical history of certain individuals like that, that's a lot that comes forth. It's just like, why aren't you doing this? This is what you should be doing. This is mm -hmm. the time you have to do it. And it's very like intense right. you know yeah you know and that's a great i'm glad you brought up the alan watts thing because that is he's really the individual that um really did a great job of breaking down hinduism for us in the west and kind of gave it to us to like a digestible um intake and yeah. you know he also he speaks about the idea of play and how how the these hindu how the hindu religion kind of sees this or this here in hindu spiritual practice kind of sees this idea of play you know when we think of play in the west we think of play almost as like a trivial thing, like, oh, I'm yeah. playing games. Um, but the word play really doesn't entail that play. Like, you know, when somebody's playing, like say someone's classically trained of playing um, the violin, you know, right. they're doing something. It's not trivial. It's not like they're just playing games or how he kind of says it or just doing it for kicks. No, it's actually connected. an experience. You know, right. when we're when we're dancing, um, when, we, when we go to a play and see a great actor, right. we know what's on the stage is not real. But we're still kind of engulfed in it, and it's the aspect. And again, you know, with music, like somebody's playing music, it's not to get to a certain part. It's in the aspect of doing it for itself. And that's kind of how they see, perceive how consciousness kind of evolves. Like, it's the aspect of evolution, and that's why we're doing it. It doesn't have a beginning. It doesn't have an end. Exactly. It's just that play. It's just like when you're dancing, you don't dance to a certain part on the floor and stop. It's just this, like, circular motion. Yep. You know, even with music, he speaks about how, you know, if if it was a race, if music was a race and it was a, a start yeah, to an end is. definition, it would be the fastest bands would be the best bands, but that's yeah. not really, you know, the case. So, um, you know, really this idea of this dramatic play and this aspect that we are a part of this play and, and the Godhead, this ego energy that's within us that we've always kind of talked about that you connect with the spirit is perceiving through us and experiencing through us. And this is what the whole, the fool's journey is all about. It's about waking up to this experience that you are the Godhead. Now, you're not the ultimate creator, but you partake in the creator. And just like how all raindrops will eventually make their way back to the ocean, 
that's how our own independent consciousness works. And that's what this whole process is about, is being individuated, like we kind of talked about last week with the fall from the soul, from that universal energy and going on that path, and then connecting back to that. So that's when the raindrop makes itself back to the ocean, right. which is that universal process. And it's what all raindrops are attempting to do. Um, so, so yeah, it's like a... Um, you know, it's it's this whole pattern and how they kind of perceive it, but it's really this this beautiful experience that they've kind of portrayed, and it's really helped us, I think, in the West make spiritual progress and really start to even investigate what our spiritual understanding is, and it kind of woke that up because I think it gave another birth to like Western mysticism when it kind of arrived in the states. Um, so, you know, and as we kind of continue. One thing we do want to kind of approach, because this is a term that we're going to um, look at and kind of um, revert back to. So this is just kind of like, as we always try to create this common language, there's two different words that we use in Christianity when we describe the Godhead. And this will kind of help really kind of describe how we um, how we kind of perceive these differently. So in Christianity, you have apophatic language. And that is the negative um, representation of what God is. It's it's really kind of what God is not, right? And so when you're describing God, apathetic language is going to be such thing as like, um, you know, um, God is infinite, right? Not finite. He's infinite. Um, God is, there's no, he's eternal. There's no beginning. There's no end. Right. So it's kind of what's saying God is not. And this is kind of what you would consider like metaphysical studies, right? And this is kind of a way. So apophatic is going to be a language that is going to say what God is not. Cataphatic language, that's going to be the positive side of this language. And this is going to say um, what we kind of um, almost perceive God as. So this is going to be myths. So this is going to be like God the Father, the Holy Mother. Okay, this is going to be how we almost personify God and almost kind of put it into a box. Right. Um, and Christianity, especially um, Western Christianity, is really going to be more based off of cataphatic language. So the idea of a- attaching, you know, this is the image of Jesus, when really we know that there's no really image of Jesus. This is just kind of what we had to personify the the essence to get the understanding. But once you kind of try to define something this, you can't define something that's both in the box and outside of the box. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where that apophatic language comes in. And like Greek or- Orthodox Christianity is very based on apathetic language. Your Roman Catholicism is going to kind of be based more on cataphatic language. Um, so again, it's kind of their different approaches to speaking about the Godhead. And so when we're kind of utilizing that idea, that apophatic language, that negative is, is very much kind of how the Hindu approaches um, the metaphysical understanding of their religion. But they also have cataphatic language in all of their myths, because the myth is just kind of this image. Um, it's this it's this internal image that makes itself manifest, and we have this understanding of it. But these two terms are very important because apophatic language is it really alludes to the idea that it's this like this elusive idea of God. Cause once you even start thinking about it and you start boxing it in, it's the space in between, it's the space around. You can't actually like we can personify it for a better understanding, but when we really get deep down into it, you can't put your finger on that. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's even, um, it's even like how putting like putting a finger on anything is, is actually very hard. You know, um, because like you could see water dripping and I could be like, what's that sound? Like, what is that? And you could say it's water, but it's, it's really not the water. It's like the dripping. So it's really hard when we kind of start breaking down materialism to even put that stuff in box. So to put God in a box, it's, it's extra hard and it's, it's impossible. And that's why apathetic language was discouraged, like it was almost um, created by man was to give us this understanding that there's this internal information that's it can't be packaged by yeah, logic alone. You know, you have to kind of surpass it. Um, so would you say like the cataphatic, if you're just like, so I'm all on the same page with with all this. So the cataphatic would try to define such things like science and medicine try to define um, certain things. Kind of, yeah. Like, so, I mean, kind of that's... Like you're right, you're not wrong. That is water, that is the sound, but it's beyond like being able to scale it in such a way. Yeah, and I mean, again, too, we just... Um, it kind of comes down to 
you know, when we really start thinking about everything, everything is, it's like when you're, this is a great, this is a great thing with Socrates, right? Socrates made one of his students. Um, he's like, what is that? And he's just like, oh, this is a carrot. And he goes, what's a carrot? And he goes, oh, it's a vegetable. He's like, what's a vegetable? And the student owns up. He's like, it's a carrot. And Socrates is like, now I know nothing because you just described one thing with another thing. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, um, totally. So again, that was, um, that's like a great story. And again, it, it kind of takes a little bit the process. And it's just the idea that, again, there's just, there's this universal, even how we kind of perceive material image, we know that this material realm is this idea of almost like this Maya. It's this illusion. Because the only thing that's actually really true is ourselves and the connection of ourselves. Right. You know, and that, and that internal energy consciousness is what's real. Um, everything else is just this vibration, five cent mass, right? Um, now, that doesn't mean that this experience isn't important because, again, we know this is for the evolution of our soul and this is how we make our journey back. Um, right, but we perceiving that that what is in front of us is what gives it its its actual vitality. Vitality, because yes. if we didn't exist to perceive or to have the five sense construct, as you like, we're just saying, um, then no one will know, right, that this is even here. Well, you know, even if it's occurring, it's yeah, like, you know, it kind of comes to the, the the whole story of like if. Um, if a tree lands in the woods and there's not, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, you know, like and that's exactly no what it is. To hear it, then did it, it didn't make a sound. It made a vibration, but to make a sound, you need uh, something to recept to feel that vibration. Exactly. So, you know, again, that's kind of where we're, we're kind of looking at with this, this whole idea and that cataphatic apophatic, you can go down like quite the rabbit hole and they're both very important. Like we need myth. We need right. these stories of consciousness and how they express themselves and all the amazing stories. And then we also need that apophatic to remind us that like, we're just personifying something. We're putting something in a box, but this is something when you put it in the box, it's on the outside of the box, it's inside the box, and it is the box. Right. Total side note there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, it's really this um, this interesting kind of elusive kind of way to kind of look at um, consciousness. And that's something that, again, was woken back up to us when we started getting connections and we kind of got our way out of the dark ages. But even like fundamental... Um, fundamental like religious sects don't look at this they look at yeah you know they take the very literal right and that's like the idea of like very literal um readings of the bible and not seeing the allegory and kind of like the beauty between it um so yeah so like this cataphatic language is such as like god the father or god is love right it's these positive designations um so the the metaphysical language of Hinduism that we were kind of talking about, that's the idea that this universe is a big act, that it's this universe is God playing hide and seek with himself. And um, it's all about that self, that cosmic I, so that right. I am, right? Which is so important in all religions, that idea of like, I am. And that's really where we end. Like, it's I am. Like, if somebody's like, you know, who's down there? You say like I, like it's your representation. It's that it's that universal energy kind of coming out you. That's why you know when um, Moses asks him about the burning bush, right. and he's just like, "Who are you?" He just says, "I am." You know, I am, and it's the really the most powerful, powerful things you can say, and it's such a unit unit um, unit of manifestation. And we're we're gonna do a whole episode on I am because it's um, it's endless, and I'll kind of go off on a tangent right now. Um, but this um, this idea of this play is really going to be their kind of their cataphatic, and this idea that this is all um, like oh this 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 drama that's kind of playing out in front of us, and it's and it's real, and the Godhead has to participate in it because again it comes down to the evolution of consciousness. Um, but the idea of in Hinduism they very much have that idea of waking up from this and understanding that they are taking in that they are. Um, universal consciousness, right? Right. We're individuated aspects of universal consciousness. And the whole goal is to get back to that source energy, get back home. Um, and, you know, that's kind of why we, we always say the fact of like walking each other home, because that's what we're kind of doing. And that's what the hero's journey is all about. It's about, you know, making your way back home and the people that help you find your way back home. Right. But just like that water drop that drops hundreds of miles away from the ocean, it will eventually make its way back to the ocean. Right. Right. 
So, um, yeah, I feel like in regards to um, that language and the idea of that cataphatic and that apophatic, this is why when situations like um, this is why like we'll misinterpret stuff in the West, like especially our, in our education system, because if you take like a world religions um, class in like a high school or maybe like first year college and the TAs teaching it, they'll tell you that Buddhist Buddhism. Um, and I've heard this from many like world religion teachers is like a, re- is an atheist religion. Like they don't believe in a God and that couldn't be farther from the yeah, truth. Um, the truth is that they speak of their God in this apathetic way. So they can't put a word to God. So when this like Western student from like, you know, some kind of university goes and asks them like, what is God? And they just laugh at him. It's, he takes it as like, Oh, they, they're laughing at the idea of God and they're, they're laughing that God, because they see God in this person, is asking this question. And they're like, don't you know who you are, God? You know, yeah. so they're laughing at him, not exactly. to be mean, but they're just like, oh, is this how we're playing hide and seek with ourselves right now? Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so it's just that beautiful way. So that apophatic and that cataphatic, it's just, it's going to be a very important aspect as we kind of continue the spiritual process and to, to recognize both aspects of it and realize that they're both important to us. And again, both religions kind of use both of them. But this whole idea of this interplay between the East and the West and the idea that, you know, we do manifest and we do need to create this world that we need to create, but also it's this really this realization of the internal self and waking up from that dream state so we can actually start aiding in the evolution of consciousness. Right. I want, you know, I always like to use metaphors and analogies, but like something I was thinking about while reading one of Alan Watts's lectures is he goes on about describing what in the Western philosophy or in the Western culture could be seen as a thing. But I was really paying attention to what he was saying and what he means by the thing and how in, in a certain way of thinking, whether it's within a scope of medicine or engineering or any kind of architectural achievement or building that we're talking about, that's what you scale down to the thing. And that's what we want to do. So the God, it would be the thing. But I like the idea that there is no thing without the everything Mm -hmm. and everything is everything. So, but it's really hard because if you walk up to someone and say, no, no, I know you're doing the thing, but you're doing the thing for everything. Mm -hmm. And they're like, what are you talking about? No, I'm doing this thing so I can get what I need. And then it's over. And it's like, no, but that all has a cause and effect on the all on the all that's one, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? But there's that division right there where one is focused on the thing and then there's the idea of everything. And it's really hard to kind of like put into perspective if someone's like, what do you mean the everything? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't understand what you're saying. You know, it's like, no, it's all the same. Right. But um, I don't know. I just think it's interesting that we always have to have those oppositions like that, where people are like, what you're saying is too much for me to understand. Therefore I need to put you in a place of, um, of order so you know the way I perceive things analytically mm-hmm. speaking. And I just think if you scale it back to just the way the brain works, so does the earth in that sense. You know, like it's divided in in, in those hemispheres where it's like this is one and this is the other. Um, but of course we must, you know, meet them both in the middle. As we always talk about the middle path. No, you know, that's but. that's perfect, man, because if you do look at a map it's broken up like the two hemispheres of the brain because that logical side is going to be more of that Abrahamic religion, right? And that'll right. be the left side. And then the more holistic, um, intuitive side would be kind of come more from that, like from those Eastern religions. Mm-hmm. So you're right. Just how we have to put the, like the pieces of our brain back together and really light up both hemispheres. It's the same process for the earth as above, so below. And that's the process that's actually going to yield the results that we want and deserve. Um, it's when we unify both the neocortex and ourselves and as universal consciousness, right? And that's why we always talk about how important it is for us to be doing this work. And even if you, you know, you try to tell people about this stuff and they're not listening, it's still so important that you're doing this work. Now keep speaking the truth into existence because that's how we, that's how we really manifest truth to um, blossom. But we, um, you make so much progress more than you ever know when you take up these steps because you raise that potential for everybody to turn on that network of that left hemisphere and that right hemisphere band. So I think that's a, that's a perfect way to look at that because that's exactly what the goal is of this consciousness and this this unification and this oneness. Right. Um, 
So again, you, you're speaking about that individual. And one thing we really perceive in the West is we get, it's very hard for us not to see the illusion of separation because we are so separated in the West because it's like, oh no, these are my things. Those are your things, right? right. This exactly. Is, this is me and that's you. You're, you're me, you're you and I'm me, right? Where the Hinduism wouldn't see that. Even Rastafarianism, like Rastafarianism, they have a, a great saying that's I and I. So it's I and I, like I, you, I, you are me and I am you, I and I. So like when they see each other and that's kind of like a great way to say like goodbye, it's like a good friend of yours is just I and I, like I see what you are and you see what I am because we are the same, right? Now we have our own perspectives and we have our own journey and consciousness, but that internal source that's pumping your heart, that's making everything go is the same source that's pumping in my heart, right? That's awesome. I had no idea about that. That's oh, great. yeah. Rastafarian like is a beautiful... And we're going to go into Rastafarianism because they are uh, such a beautiful religion. Like the idea of the worship of the lion, that's Leo. That's Leo during the summer solstice, what we were talking about last week. That's right. that. That's the spot that you gain to and that's the spot you fall from. And that's why it's a lion because it's the long, you know, it's the, the rays of the sun, the sun. And that's what they're representing when they do dreadlocks. Right. Yeah. Rastafarianism is... Such a deep religion. So now that's another thing. We, we, um, it's so important for us to learn these other religions and these spiritual practices because some of them were taken away from us, right? So we lost so much deep information in Africa when they did the African slave trade and they we right. broke up Africa. We lost so much spiritual information, and now some of that moved to you know Rastafarianism, some moved to Buddhism, but that raw energy. That was from Africa. This is the black land. And I'm not talking about the skin. I'm talking about alchemy. I'm talking right. about this is That's where true. energy generates. Right. And we see that with who are who can move masses, who can make energy move like no other. It's that African vibration. Right. It's so important. We lost that energy. We lost um we lost ancient Chinese information too. Like the most richest, powerful, like most advanced spiritually, probably around at that time period. You know, within a hundred years, we lost everything, and we need that information that we right. lost from China because it was again. It wasn't until like the 1850s we forced them to start doing trade with us, and they were kind of on a decline after that because they kind of lost their um, significance of quality over quantity. Exactly. Um, but then again, when the New World Order took over and they did the Great Leap Forward and the Communist Revolution, not only did China lose a hundred million people, they lost their culture they right. lost their religion they lost their spirituality right and we're seeing the effects of that today right. you know um and we lost that spiritual information so this is very important for us to collect all the spiritual information that's left so that's why we have to collect the alchemy we have to collect hinduism we have to try to find good sources for um the for, for any kind of native country any kind of native inhabitants of any land right we need to get that information we need to incorporate that in ourselves it's almost like a race at this time because there's a reason why they took out that's there's a reason why they have kept that African vibration in fear. There's a reason why they took China out of the scene because these were power players that wouldn't have let this new world order happen. Of course. Because yeah. they're they're earth movers, right? Yeah, they're both operating yeah, on, yeah. Yeah, like I said, you know? earth movers. And we're all are earth movers, so I'm not saying one has more than the right. other, but some have potential um, physical change in the physical realm happen very quickly. Some it's more of an intellectual thing. Some it's more of an emotional thing. Some vibration of our nationalities is going to make us a little bit more tuned to art. Others are going to maybe make us more in tune to the orientation of word. But this is just the vibration of kind of you, your tribe that came before you, of kind right. of like your ancestors, and you partake in that vibration. It's just like astrological energy. It's Absolutely. what you do with it or not. But well, you have intuitive vibration that you should never want to lose, yet... Yes, you will be tempted to give it away, and right. that's the problem. Is like that's what ended up happening with both cultures you just mentioned, whether it's an African or Eastern, as far as like a China. Uh, uh, vib the vibration that they both brought were able to be caged and then turn onto them for monetization. It's mm -hmm. like no, you're not going to go that far. You're going to go only here and mm -hmm. only to this at like this ratio or mm -hmm. this like vibration. Then we're gonna. Mm -hmm. We're going to monetize yep. or like make some the hijacking, kind of, right? Yeah. The hijacking. There you yeah. go. Thank you. So yeah, it's, it's interesting because, but the cool thing is they haven't, uh, or the optimistic way of looking at it is you still have your, your vibration that is intuitive. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? You just got to make sure you don't. Right. Oh, again, let, no. it be, let it be swayed or taken over. Um, mm -hmm. 
But um, yeah, and the only way they're going to do that is by fear, and right. by either real fear that they're actually creating, or like making the manipulation of fear. But that is the biggest aspect, and again, it's affecting our consciousness right now. Um, you can feel it in the air when you walk around right now. There's just this this sense of fear, and there's nothing that's bigger than the, that gets going to lower our vibration. That's the absolute absolute opposite of what we need to be doing. We need to be taking that fear and inverting it into love at this moment, um, and that's really what we have to kind of work and it's a it's definitely an uphill journey at the moment we it's find meditation it yeah. is a meditation and actually it's very attainable i mean like you were saying this is why we're here so um if someone else is going to manipulate that vibration and divide it into two then it's only our um it is our job it is our mission to take the one that feels left out and make it inclusive mm -hmm. because no one ever really divided them they just divided themselves by what they heard mm -hmm. and it's important that you know you have that's what i'm saying we have the intuitive power and knowledge meaning like if your opposition is the one that um say ends up losing you know well you're not going to win if the other half isn't nearly as you know joyous as you are you you can only express or can only enjoy that mutual ground being enjoyed by the two and mm -hmm. it's something that we know how to do you see children do it instinctually like no kid wants to really left, leave out the other kid you know what i mean but we're taught why you would leave mm -hmm. one kid over the other and it's like oh no you're not part of this class or that mm -hmm. side or you're not brought up the way um they're brought up mm -hmm. it's it's crazy but we always have the source to get it to bring it back i mean I, and i mean that like i've been saying this throughout the whole podcast like waving to your neighbor it's mm -hmm. like you don't realize that your neighbor itself might might be thinking there's no way that person's going to even want to make eye contact with me because all hope is lost. And then if you were to proceed with, you know, going with your intuition, just giving a friendly wave, all those um, speculations just crumble in like a second. That person's like, oh, you know, like I was wrong about that. And it's super magical. It's just something that's super overseen by people. It's just like, mm -hmm. oh, no, like that's how you collapse those things. Mm -hmm. That's how you really do the work um, one at a time. But um Anyways, I digress. No, I love that, man. Because again, and that kind of comes down to what you originally brought up and we kind of went on that when I went on my little soapbox about them hijacking energy, um, about illusion Don't of separation. Started, Don't man. get me started. Don't get, get me on started. that soapbox all no. day. All day. Um, the illusion of separation right. and the idea that we perceive that we're separated, but we really are oneness, you know? Right. And a, a good analogy was this, again, was in that lecture when he was talking about how, you know, all over your body, you have millions of these nerve ends. Um, and imagine almost that like all of those nerve ends had a little eye because, you know, again, everything is the, is touch anyways. Right. But just right. kind of imagine, cause it's the most sensitive thing that all those nerve endings have a little eye. Um, so you would, um, imagine like, so if every, every impression of the world kind of gets in and sends it back to the central brain, and that's what all those nerve endings are doing. They're all independent nerve endings with their own eyes, but they're all sending information back to the central brain. Right. Well, almost in a similar way, every person, every animal, every sentiment being, um, can almost be looked at as the eyes that look out of the one central self. Mm. So the problem is, is we don't see those connection lines of the nerve endings and how they connect to the central brain. So we perceive that we are um, individualized. We, we perceive that there's a separation because we don't see that actual connection, but we know all of those nerve endings in our arms and our legs all connect back to our brain, right? right? So we know there's a one unit, even though they're all independent nerve endings that are having different experiences and sending back different sensations, we know that there's a unified central brain that it all goes back to. Right. And this is that idea we were talking about. And this is going to be one of the beautiful things that Hinduism is going to bring to this understanding and kind of make people kind of get that picture of. And again, it's it's going to be what the alchemists come to the conclusion of as well in their meditations. It's It's the whole universal study. It's what all esoteric is about. But again, it's that idea that with this illusion of separation, we are actually connected. And and that's what transcends every issue that we have, because when it's not a political thing, it's not a racial thing, it's it's a universal consciousness thing. And we are all one. And if you're in pain, I'm going to feel pain. Like, we're never going to progress as long as there's human trafficking. There's We're never going to progress as long as people are breaking natural laws. Like as long as natural laws getting imposed on, we're going to see negative consequences. Now right. we can limit those actions and that's what's, it's going to be slow steps, you know, and it's really going to start with us. Um, 
but just we're one unit. So karmically, we're going to pay as one unit. So if we're letting evil happen, if we're letting tyranny happen, if we're letting fear be propagated, we're going to see those aspects of the aggregate. Um, and I think that's a huge thing that Hinduism kind of helps us do is really see the idea that, you know, we are one. Right. You know, all is one. One is mind. And just that idea that it's so hard for us to perceive in the West because, you know, it is amazing that we have this individual I, in, like identity. Um, but the process of playing hide and seek yourself is realizing that like you, the the core mood, no, like you're one with everything. Right, right. And you can see that in all aspects of, of every practice of everything that we do. Um, especially like, again, I always like to, use the uh, metaphor or the analogy for medicine, but it's the same thing. I mean, you have so many specialists in the Western world that specialize on each organ in the body, but yet, you know, it's all coming from a central system mm -hmm. that they know better, but that's, that was completely eradicated. I think at the end of the 19th century, the turn of the 19th century um, is when people started kind of, you know, basically undoing what Eastern uh, influences we had within the body and its properties and started to separate it, segregate it. And then, Therefore, by default, we do that to ourselves as a born individual. So even when consciousness arrives, we're like, oh, but if I have an ailment, I need to go see this one guy to help me with this one thing. And mm -hmm. we apply that to a lot of other things in our life. Like, I'm not good at this one thing, therefore I'm not good at all. And mm -hmm. like, that's why you see such like, uh, just like faulty in like our society. There's, there's these faultiness is because of like how it's an influence and in, in how we've been segregated, taken away from the universal source. Mm -hmm. And always though, you know, see what mm -hmm. I'm saying? It's not just like I'm using medicine for that, but in everything else, people are like, no, there's just me, you know? Mm -hmm. So all in all, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, that sort of segregation of like who we are away from the source is seen in a lot of things within our society that we grew up in. And I think a lot of us are attempting to gain it back. And some of us are not, some of us are rejecting it. And then in between the gaining of those understandings, then there's the the hijacking. Once again, it's like once Ugh. those principles start to make their way over into our lives and start to um, be welcome as far as an idea, uh, you quickly find that someone put a price tag on it too. You're just mm. like, oh, I just need to learn how to, and they're like, yeah, yeah, but let me be the one to teach you and I'm going to charge you this much money. And I'm talking about like anything that's new age, anything that's been mm -hmm. brought over, not brought over, but has already been here, but yet picked up by the individual who wants to explore what more there is out there. It's already been yeah. hijacked, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely, man. I think the, I think the social engineers um, saw when all this you know, really strong, amazing gurus were coming here. And I think at the same time, they kind of created their own little false gurus and they tried to muddy the waters because they, they saw this as a problem. Because right. if we start seeing ourselves as universal consciousness as one, they lose all power. Right. All power is gone because power actually doesn't even exist. Like nobody has authority over you. You are your own conscious being. This is, this is the only property you have, but nobody has ability to impede on you traveling or anything like right, you right. are an open free source individual so um so yeah so when we talk about that higher self um tom atman is how you would say it in india and again my pronunciation is is a little tough but that's kind of the idea of this highest self but atam and then in egyptian this idea was atum mm -hmm. and then in christianity in abrahamic legions this idea is going to be adam mm -hmm. and then in our scientific community this is atom, atom right the building block of matter right the building block of consciousness and it all kind of comes back down and again as above so below you know just how there's a single-celled organism in us that's expressing consciousness right. we're expressing consciousness and then there's higher levels of consciousness expression that's beyond us right you know and really understanding that this is not the end of this and that there's this whole journey that we're kind of continuing on i think is is just so important um you know, and just how powerful this self is um, for the idea that, you know, we're only aware of so much of our conscious understanding. You know, like we don't think about taking breaths. We don't, we don't have to bump, we don't have to beat our own hearts. We don't have to grow our own hair, right? There's so much automation that's kind of happening with consciousness. So when we really talk about this evolution of consciousness and you kind of think about this aspect so again, when you kind of think about this automatic aspect of consciousness and how it evolves and how it kind of creates, this is why you see almost the many-armed gods 
of in Hinduism. So you'll see like gods with like a bunch of arms. And what this is really kind of representing is like the idea of the centipede, how the centipede, when it's moving, it doesn't have to think about moving each of its legs. Like it just is this motion. It's just this play. And it's just this doing it for the act of doing it, right? right. It's, it's not thinking about it individually. And this is kind of how that universal energy was perceived in um, the Hindu community. So again, in the West, we kind of have this idea and mostly like, um, what you would say, um, like fundamental religious ideas, but this idea that everything's pre-planned with a Hinduism would be like, no, it's kind of like this motion. And depending on where that caterpillar goes, that kind of is where the evolution of consciousness will fall. But it's that process of like that automation aspect of consciousness, which is so fascinating. And again, when we're, we're just like, we why we kind of brought up this one is so we can really kind of get into the study of reincarnation versus human reincarnation, because we're always going to be kind of comparing the West with the East, because they do have a little difference of understanding or beliefs on reincarnation and human reincarnation. Um, but again, the end is the same. It's all about character development. And the end is the same in the story that we talked about today. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it doesn't matter what you do. It's all about the betterment of the self, the raising of that conscious, connecting to that higher self, aligning yourself with truth. Um, and just being a complete individual and making yourself back to God, making right. that way, you know, making that way and drop back home, you know? Um, and that's kind of what that conclusion is on those aspects. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Again, I always love that we get back to the application. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess, um, I don't really have much more to add. I mean, there's so much I can go. I mean, if, if you just saw Daniel's notes there's so many i know right we, and, we, and, and so do i here and it's like i know we can just there's so many jumping on like jumping points that we can go from or yeah you know places that we can just sort of like take off from and mm -hmm. i'm glad that we brought this up so we can like again you were talking about um what's to come and i yeah. always like that we're foreshadowing or at right. least expressing like where this will go next mm -hmm. you know um, yeah yeah, no, I think that's that's great, man. And I do, I think you're right. I think this is a great kind of cutting out point because we really just, the big things we were kind of trying to do today was just kind of, it's almost a primer and it's just kind of like an introduction to this topic because we are right. going to go much deeper on a lot of the stuff we brought up today. But one thing is I did want to give a shout out. We have five patron subscribers do, already. Man, so, that's really, that. so thank you so much. Yes, um, we do. You know, and again, this week has been a little crazy with everything going on in the world. Right, right. So we haven't had been the ability to really update stuff, but be on the lookout. We got some stuff coming out um, over the weekend. The Oh, you updated the merch yeah, too? Yeah, we got some new you stuff dog. on there. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be good. <laughs> that's so cool. Uh, um, I'm excited. Yeah. I got to check that out. No, it's all good because it's so been funny. a busy week. So Yeah, it has been. So really do a really big shout out to the patron listeners. Yeah, um, thank you. So yeah, thank you. And just kind of stay patient. We're going to make sure we got stuff on there. But guys, we're really looking about doing a lot of videos, um, starting like a book club on there as well, where we'll all kind of read cool. the same text and get together and kind of talk about that I stuff. I love that. Um, you know, me and Eddie are going to do like a, um, like a monthly, like, like almost like a mailbag question thing where we'll kind of have like a live feed where we'll be connecting with you guys, just answering your questions, getting to know you more. Yeah, that'd be great. And it'd be more of like a group discussion, especially, Absolutely. you know, how we're starting off small. And then as we get more numbers, we'll just kind of break up those discussions. But it really does mean the world for us for the support because we want to do this all day, every day. All day, every day. Right? Yeah, man. So, um, but all the love. Also, one big last shout out. Um Whatever happens in this world, just know that you are universal consciousness. And as long as we align ourselves with truth, and as long as we always express through love, um, we're going to find our way back home. So all the love, um, you know, we wish you all peace. And um, I think this is about the time we say until next time. Until next time. All right.